Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And we're going to challenge you to transform your financial future through the principles of the most profitable business in the world, banking. We believe everyone should be involved in two businesses, the business that you're in and the banking business. Everyday people can replicate what bankers have been doing for centuries to leverage capital and build wealth through private lending. Join us as we uncover the truths about money, expose lies and myths, and flip conventional financial advice on its head. Here we go. All right, Paul, welcome back. How was your week? Oh, gosh. Yeah, pretty busy, but good. We got our wine fridge delivered today, so that's pretty cool. You also had another delivery I saw. A car, a new car. Right? Yeah, we did. Yeah, the uh, the Cuda showed up on uh, Tuesday. Now, what's up with that picture? There was a blue and a and a yellow one in that picture. Were they both? The blue Cudas? one is Tammy's father's '69 Camaro SS 396. Okay, four speed, like real nice car. Yeah, nice. Have you been out to drive it yet? No, they've no? driven it. <laughs> so I'm wow. going. I'm taking Anthony down to Florida in March. We're going to go to a Red Sox spring training game and we're going to go to a car show with the car. Okay. Cause that's going to be, that's going to be his someday. So when you do car shows, do you have to pay to have your car in there or do they pay you to have your car or is it just volunteer? What? No, normally it's just like a, a lot of them are just like a community event where people okay. just, some, some, are, some are official, some are unofficial where people just get together every Sunday or every Monday or Tuesday night at the, yeah. you know, outside Applebee's or whatever it is in Florida. Yeah. So, it's just, it's just, and I'm like the youngest dude there. Guys. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. I'm the youngest guy there by far. They're all, you know, old enough to be my grandfather. Right. Uh, or, fa- or I guess father, um, cause I'm getting old now, but, uh, yeah, you're not so that yeah, it's, kid. it's cool. And I got the car that I got a car that, uh, I kind of always wanted as a kid, an old Mopar and. And I got one. So I have a new Mopar and I have an old one. So I'm, yep. I'm good. Nice. Go. Cool, man. I spent uh, about 30 minutes today shoveling more snow. Just when oh. I get the driveway cleared, I get hit with another like three, four, five inches. And I got to go shovel again. So irritating. But uh, man, I'm so ready for this dark, cold winter to be to be over. Yeah. At some point, we need to move you out of there. And we will. You a, yeah. We will. Once the last one's out of high school... Or at least my la- my my youngest son, you know, they won't be left with two little girls. They won't quite be. Yeah, they'll probably be just entering high school. So maybe we can move them before that. Yeah, we'll see. That'd be nice. Uh, I'll me- reserve me a, a plot next to your dream home, and I'll build next to you. Yeah, that's. The, I'm trying to do that. So I'll I'll let you know. Yeah. Cool. Well, hey, last episode we talked about. I think we decided on that episode we need to start doing like monthly live calls and give people an opportunity just to chat with us live, uh, ask questions, anything like that. So we nailed down a date, February 16th from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Time. So February 16th, mark mark your calendars. There will be a a link in the show notes where you can register for that. And, you know, we haven't quite decided on the, the format. We'll probably do, you know, an intro, maybe a little presentation for 10 or 15 minutes. And and really open it up to a Q&A. I think that's our favorite part is answering questions, right? Yes, for sure. So, Interaction, good. Yep. So tell your friends, uh, if you've been listening, but you haven't like pulled the trigger, or maybe you have your current client, uh, but you just want to get in there with a chance to, to throw questions and listen to everybody else's questions and even answer some questions. I love having clients on those calls where they can attest firsthand to, you know, the power of infinite banking and what it's done for them and how it's changed their paradigm. That's right. And we get those notes occasionally, don't we, Dave, from, from current clients? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, those are fun. Those are a lot and, of fun. Uh, a lot different once, you know, when you go from conceptual to actual, you know, execution of IBC in your life, totally, totally different. Right. Completely different. So don't feel like just because you, you haven't started that you needed to know everything to get started. Like there's nothing in life where you, where you can know everything before you start doing it. Right. And this is just another one of those things. Once you start doing it, your, your mind starts seeing different things and you start asking different questions. Right on. Yeah. Well, all right, man. Well, I figured, why don't we talk today? Because I have this conversation every time we get to the end of the process, when somebody gets approved for a policy, that's when we pull out the illustration, right? It's almost never do we pull it out before that piece has been completed. Like, hey, you're approved for life insurance. Now we're not wasting each other's time by designing an illustration and and tweaking it to fit your goals and, and, and your life. Uh, because we know you're insurable. So we get to that part and I like to show the breakdown and and where all the money, all the premium is going into the different parts of the, the policy. But then we get to the, the actual illustration portion, right? Like, let, let's see the numbers. Um, it's like the big reveal, right? Um, but there's two ledgers. There's a guaranteed and then there's a non-guaranteed. So we wanted to talk about what's the difference between the guaranteed cash value and the non-guaranteed and why we focus on one or the other. So Paul, if I pulled that up and I said, hey, Paul, what's the difference between guaranteed and non-guaranteed? What would you say? I would say one is guaranteed. (laughs) Okay, good one. No. Nice dad joke. I would say that probably, but no. So Dave, it's a good question. And I think it's a legitimate question from new new clients. It's it's good to know. Yes, I think they they can differentiate between those the meanings of those of those words. But um, you know, these life insurance contracts, folks, have um, a guaranteed aspect to it, where it's contractually guaranteed that year after year, this is the premium, this is the cash value. At the in there, you know, they represent end of year values. If you're familiar with what one of these ledgers looks like, and then there's an end of year death benefit. Right. And those are guaranteed by the company. Uh, so once that premium has been paid for a given year, the end of year value will be, you know, will be X. So there's that just guaranteed growth component. So it's not like a like the life insurance policies I used to have. I had regular vanilla non-participating whole life where I had a fixed premium of whatever and a fixed death benefit. So if my death benefit was a was a $250,000 whole life policy, it stayed there from age when I bought it at age 23 to age 100 when it actually when it would uh, would have endowed and paid and paid out. Right. Now they endow of course at age 121. So So okay. let me let me elaborate then. So the guaranteed, let's talk, you know, in, in like military terms or army specifically, like Guaranteed would be your your most dangerous course of action. What does that mean? It means no matter what happens at the company, they could lose money that year and you're still guaranteed that cash value that they stated and that death benefit if you've paid your premium. Yes. Okay. I like now, that. Yeah. I like that most dangerous course of action. I think a lot of people will understand that. Right. So, well, let's talk about non-guaranteed. And if we were going to call this, what, what type of course of action would we call this? This would be the most likely. Boom. Yeah, I feel like I'm yeah. some kind of a yeah, leadership course with with the army. <laughs> Down at NTC yeah. prepping for well, I think you talk field. about it like the Joint Firepower course in Las Vegas. That's an Air Force course that I got to go to at Nellis. Yeah. That was nice. Yeah. Um, what if we were there at the same team. time? 
I was there July of 06. Uh, I was there, boy, after that. I was in Korea in July of 06. Yeah, and there was a, a Lieutenant Colonel Toldy. He was a Southwest guy, and uh, but he was an A-10 guy. In the, in the hog driver. driver. Nice. Yep. Anyway, great course. Really enjoyed it. Um, and I won 50 bucks at Treasure Island. So <laughs> It's a win all around. It's a win all around. Yeah. So, yeah, the most likely on the non-guaranteed side. So, again, if you're familiar with the ledger, you have left side guaranteed, right side of the ledger, which is actually a bit longer, uh, non-guaranteed. And that what that assumes, Dave, is, you know, with these participating whole life insurance policies or dividend-paying whole life insurance policies from mutual life insurance carriers, they have a great history of paying a dividend. And as a review, folks, what is a dividend? Well, the IRS characterizes it as a return of excess premium. We've explained in other episodes how it is much, Dave Ramsey defines it like that too, but it's much more than that. Yeah, right? they're, they're not just paying you what you overpaid, as Dave Ramsey might say. Right. Yeah, it's they're not, just giving you back what you overpaid, you you idiots. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so much more than that. And anyone who owns these things and has a, a super mature policy, especially, can, can attest to that. Oh, yeah. The dividends will become quite large, far greater be, than your premium. So they can, they can become far greater than the actual premium. Absolutely. No question. Yeah. So, um, so with that dividend history and the companies have 118 year dividend history, 140 year you know dividend history, something over a hundred years straight without missing it. So that takes you through world war one, the great depression, um, world war two, Joe Biden. <laughs> you heard it here. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> Um, yep. yeah, we just, we just like reached our debt ceiling again. Right. You know, 31 and a half trillion or whatever the heck it is. Ah, don't worry about it. I'm sure they'll, you know, the, the media will start covering some, uh, something about Prince Harry to take your attention off of it. <laughs> Tammy said that was a good, she watched that Netflix. I'm like, why are you watching? Oh, this why would you watch that? I'd rather watch the Kardashians, but man, uh, we're getting off topic quite a bit in this, this podcast. Yeah. So let's get back to the non-guaranteed anyway. simply non-guaranteed just means it includes dividends. That's right. right? At and the current scale as a current company experience, Dave, right? Which right. will change. Right. Which so change. if dividends this year were 5%, declared to be 5%, then the illustration would illustrate a 5% dividend from now until the day you die, all the way to age 121. That's Is right. that realistic? No, absolutely not. That's not going to be the same. But it's going to be a lot closer than the guaranteed side if past performance is any indication of future performance, which with life insurance companies, I firmly believe it is. Yes. Uh, very stable business, uh, you know, using the law of large numbers, being conservative. Now, are all the life insurance companies built alike? No, nope. not really. Um, some are bigger. Some take on a little bit more adverse selection. Um, maybe, maybe cause they can, um, some have offerings, Dave, that I don't particularly like or strategies that I don't particularly like, but that's all here and there. They, they all have a very good dividend history and they all have uh, a history of stability. So, right. The mutual ones, which have been around for a long time. That's yep. right. So in the ones that have demutualized, yeah, <laughs> they're pretty yep. profitable too. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, and even more profitable now for stockholders. Right. So, so there's the guaranteed, not guaranteed. We like to focus on like the guarantee side is absolutely critical. Like if you don't have guarantees taking you up to age 121, then then it's not a permanent life insurance policy, in my opinion. 
they might classify like usually uh you know IULs universal life policies they'll have a guarantee up until like age 65 and then the only guarantee they can give you is that you might be out of cash value and you if that happens you're going to be out of death benefit too cash account cash account okay that's right they want to tell you it's a cash value but it's it's not right it's a it's just a separate side account right it's not yeah. cash value cuz it's not tied to not tied to the death benefit is it crazy crazy so great product but we have great we focus on the non-guaranteed side because that's more likely to happen and frankly you know i mean i think a dividend rate of five percent has been is pretty historically low because interest rates have been historically low now interest rates are going up which means the policy loan rate's going to go up which in turn like it again if history is any indication then dividend rates will continue to go up too because that's just saying these insurance companies are getting a larger return on their investment now because yes. you know, money costs more now. Yes, that's right. And, you know, it won't be an instantaneous change for those of you who currently own policies. You know, could you see a higher dividend next year? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, could it take five years? Yeah, maybe. I mean, who knows? Right. But in the end, like you said earlier, before we went, out, went live, Dave, it's I only care that I get a dividend. Yes that I'm participating in the profitability of this company. That's very important. And, and the fact is, so if you look on the guaranteed side, that's the most dangerous course of action, right? That assumes no dividend is ever paid out ever. for the rest of your right. life. After a couple years of that happening, I'm probably thinking about moving my policy somewhere else, or I'm probably not gonna get more policies at that company, you know, right. if they haven't paid out dividends for a couple of years. So you could expect if a company does that, they're gonna go out of business. Cause that just means they're not profitable. Right. So and they'll likely get scooped up by some hedge fund from wherever. Yeah. Maybe. So there you go. And that's why we focus on the non-guaranteed side. I think it's better for planning, you know, for forecasting and it's uh, you know, it's probably going to end up somewhere between the guaranteed and the non-guaranteed, but could also be greater than those numbers on the non-guaranteed side. If dividend rates go up. Which yes. I would say this, I think, I think the most, most likely, I just made that up, is somewhere in between, but close, close to what is, what is assumed um, off that original illustration. I think it'd be somewhat close to that, relatively speaking to premium paid and yeah. all that. Don't beat me up, agents. You know, you know what I'm saying. Um, but somewhere yeah. between the guaranteed and the non-guaranteed of that of, of your original illustration is probably the most most likely. But it, like you said, if rates stay high for a long time, maybe it'll be higher. It just it just depends. Right, right. So, yep. and honestly, Dave, I don't care. And why don't you care? Because I'm I'm really focused on what's going on outside the policy. Yep. I'm just using the policy to store cash and protect my family and create yep. a legacy. That's it. And 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 I have I have guaranteed death benefit right now. That is a lot. And that gives me that peace of mind. If the dividend is 5.2% versus 5.25% next year. Yeah. Let's not oh get well. tripped up in the details. I mean, we're, we're, we're arguing, we're, we're splitting hairs at that point. Hey, that so-and-so company is offering 5.7. Your company, you know, that you're talking about is only 5.2. Why would I go with that? Again, people, the dividend rate is only one piece of the total equation to determine how much cash value increase you actually get every year. It's just one yes. piece of the equation. So yep. don't and get wrapped up in it. Yep. And we've talked about that in another podcast today have. where yeah. the um you know the the rate that a company average the gross dividend rate that a, a certain company may advertise that is not that is not what your policy is receiving. Yep. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. Cool. I think we hit that 
pretty good. So now that being said, what I will say is the non-guaranteed ledger gets taken advantage of by many what I would call Bush League agents out there who lead with an illustration. If somebody sure. leads with an illustration, you can be sure the only thing they're going to point out to you on that entire illustration is the non-guaranteed side. Hey, this includes the dividends and we're estimating dividends of 8% in the future, you know? Yeah. Not not like historically. Well, you know, they might have a historic one, but they're going to they if they focus on the one all the way to the very 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 right of that page, which is going to be likely, you know, in the ones I've seen, like IULs or something, that's always the highest return, highest <laughs> projected return. That's where they're going to focus your attention. So don't don't bite on that and don't take that as gospel because you can bet. And people like I just talked to somebody today. She's a 52 year old, 52 year old woman. She called me today. She came in through the podcast and we were talking about her situation. She wants to insure her kids. And I said, well, okay, great. Do you have insurance? Yeah, I have a, you know, a term policy. And I've also got this, this universal life policy that I purchased 20 years ago. And I just looked at it and it has $6,000 of cash value. You know, when I bought it, they said the cash value would keep going up every single year. And it was supposed to look a lot better. And I, you know, I just groaned. You know, it's the same old story you hear over and over and over from people in their 50s and 60s who bought these yep. things 20 years ago. Same old yep. story. So hey. I've never met somebody... I'm sure there's some out there, right? Who are like, hey, this was actually a good buy for me and I have a pretty good, a, a great cash account and it's not being eaten up by my in, ever increasing premium as I get older. Maybe there's somebody out there. If you're out there and you have that, let us know. I'd like to, I'd like to see it. I've just never met anybody or talked to anybody. It's always been the reverse. Yeah, I think a lot of people, Dave, just haven't reached that point. I mean, she's 52. She bought it when she was 32. Um, she's lucky she's to not have looked at it and and- paid attention to it right now. Right. And she's not that old yet. Not at all. You know what I mean? So yeah. the, that, that premium, you know, the way I, I've, I've explained it to people I, that have, have had the IOL conversation with, I say, listen, look at this, look at this annually renewing term. The term ends when you're, let's say 55, look for the same death benefit at age 56. Look what that costs versus yeah. what it was costing you on that level term that you bought when you were, you know, 20 something. Yeah, it is dramatically different, folks. And I get and like our friend says, nobody's writing that check. No, I just ran a term illustration today for a 10 year term. And then guess what? 11 year 11, when the guy turned 63, the monthly premium jumps from like three hundred dollars to four thousand dollars. Four thousand. The next year it's like eight thousand dollars per month. He, nobody's, nobody's writing. That. Nobody's writing that check. Guaranteed. Nobody's even if nobody. you had the money, you would have better sense than to write that check. So I tell people this, man, I, and I don't know everyone's. And again, this is, this is, I'm painting with a, with a broad brush, but I do know the universal life product and how it's built and how it's designed. I've studied it at length. I almost tell people, listen, if you're not going to do IBC with dividend paying whole life from a reputable company, and you're thinking about an IUL or, or some other universal, any of them, it doesn't matter. I think you'd be better off listening to Dave Ramsey and just buying a 30 year level term and investing the difference. At least, you know what you got. Yeah. Right. It, and either I tell people a term policy, it consider any premium you pay a sunk cost because it is, That's you're right. not getting that money back. You're right? never going to see it again. Right. I would consider IUL a sunk cost personally. Yeah. No question. So, you know, especially the longer you pay it, especially. It's just, yeah, it's just not, just it, not good. Anyway, it's unfortunate. And that question came in also through the email, through the podcast today, Dave, from um, from a gentleman um, that asked, 
He says he owns two IULs and wants to do infinite banking. And it's kind of unclear to us, does he want to use those for infinite banking or does he want to change them out? We don't, we don't know yet. I have a phone call right. with this gentleman tomorrow, actually. But bottom line is, if he does listen to this episode, you cannot do IBC with an IUL. I don't care what all these YouTubers say and all these people that are, that are quote, doing it. Not an appropriate product for IBC. No, it's not. At least according to the man who discovered it, for whatever that's worth. Yeah. To me, it's and worth everything. So we, we did an entire episode on that. So if you want to dig more into that, uh, go back and check that one out. Yep. Um, all right. Well, before we finish, we talk, We mentioned death benefits. I want to talk about death benefit a little bit. So IBC kind of, you know, the, the one thing that we do poorly is talk more about the death benefit. I think, you know, life insurance, first and foremost, we should be, we're, we're life insurance guys. So you need to have adequate death benefit for your family's needs. Should God forbid, you know, tragedy strike, um, or you, you die at 90, it doesn't matter. At least then you get to recapture all the taxes you've paid over your life. You know, that's one way to think about it. Yes. You know, no, it, that's possible, right? You could recapture I, all the taxes you paid over your life. And we both, you and I, Dave have old grandparents still, don't we? Yeah, 90, in their 90s, still kicking. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm trying to imagine, and I think I've mentioned this before, but like had IBC or had insurance been a thing for, and my grandfather sold it. He was a John Hancock guy for years, you know, briefcase and driving his, you know, Chrysler LeBaron around or whatever. And uh, around East Boston and Winthrop and- Man, but, knocking doors. What a rough, just, that's a oh, rough man. business, dude. That was one of the many jobs. He worked for Pure Later. Anyway, yeah. had- had that been the mindset and, you know, whole life insurance been purchased, you know, there'd be a, a, a future windfall here coming in. If my parents, yeah. my dad, when I was in Florida the other, you know, a couple of weeks ago mentioned, well, you know, you know, life insurance, really the way we were taught was just for when you had kids and then, you know, you don't need it anymore. And of yeah. course that's what they were told. Yeah. So it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But they don't understand the banking quality of this product. Um, yeah. and I wish, gosh, that they had, man, it would be just so much better. <laughs> I kind of compare it to, but if you take that, so you take that with your number one asset, which is your life, your human life value. Yep. If you took that same mindset to a, a car, like you just bought that Cuda, that thing's like 40 years old or 50, almost 50. It'd be 53 this year in April. It'd be 53 years old, dude. Or March. 53 years old. Like it, it's too, it's already old enough. Like you don't need insurance on that anymore. What do you need insurance on that for? Or think about like, let's say right. you become a billionaire. And you've got a, I don't know how much you paid. I'm just going to make it up a, a number, $100,000, right? I'm sure I have no idea about these classic cars. I'm not a car guy. So, let's, so you pay $100,000 for a classic car. And then, um, but you're super wealthy, right? So you could lose that car and that $100,000 and it wouldn't really affect you. Does that mean you're going to stop having insurance on that car? That'd be kind of stupid. Well, it depends. If I designed a policy for infinite to banking. To self-insure? To self-insure, like Nelson explains in the book, maybe just have, I'll have liability on it, of course, uh, but for collision and, but yes, I get you. Yeah, your point is totally you know, valid. I mean, you're, you're not going to buy a $250,000 Ferrari and, and, and insure it for $100,000. No, that no, no, would no, be no. In, That would be insane, right? Point yeah, well we, taken. We do no, this insured. all the, yeah, we do this all the time with our own lives is like, I might be worth $7 million but I only have $2 million of life insurance because that's all I think my family is going to need for 10 yep. year, the next 10 years after I die. Yep. Right? You like, should have $14 million there, pal. Yeah. And guess what? Your human life value, all, all human life value is your, you know, what the insurance company determines to be your economic productivity 
for the rest of your life. Like from now until you die, like this is how much they think you're going to be able to make. Um, or, no, you know, your working years, whatever. Um, yes. And guess what? As your income increases, so you go from 25 years old to 30 years old, ideally your income increased. And therefore, your human life value increased because it's a multiple of your income. That's right. Time to buy another policy. Time to get more. Time to get more. So I think that's one thing that we need to, you know, IBC practitioners in general, of course, we, we do ensure people have adequate death benefit. But I personally am guilty of not encouraging people to maximize their human life value. And even if that's a convertible term rider that you carry for 20 or 30 years that you can convert over your lifetime, max out your human life value. Yeah, no, no question. Um, I've, I think early on in my IBC um, agent career here that I, I did focus on mainly the cash value qualities, but um, more so as I've gotten more mature and more seasoned, I, the death benefit is, I mean, frankly, the death benefit is everything because you can't have cash value without the death benefit. Right. The larger exactly. the death benefit, the larger the cash value ultimately will be. Exactly. Um, since, you know, the cash value is simply the present value of the death benefit. Yep. So, but no, you're right. It's, it's, it can't be ignored. It's a wonderful thing because it gives me peace of mind. Yeah. Everyone will miss me or miss you or whoever, but the idea of everything's taken care of because millions of dollars of tax-free wealth just gets paid out in 30 days. That's, yeah. that's peace of mind that you can't really put a price on. You're right. So th they'll miss us with a smile on their face. That's the way that's I like right. to think about it. That's right. You know, they'll be crying on the inside, but boy, will, will they be enjoying the outside? You know? Yes. I mean, how, cool how, could they, how could they not? How could you not? Somebody just unloads millions of tax-free dollars on your lap and says, do whatever especially, you want with it. <laughs> especially if I'm like, you know, 98 years old and, yeah. you know, he died peacefully in his sleep. Or They're all looking at their watches like, when is this guy going to go? When he's is he going to go? He's worth tens of millions in death benefit. Let's go, Paul. Put, Put him, him in the Cuda. Rain, man. Put him in the Cuda and close the garage door and just leave it running. <laughs> That's terrible. No, terrible. you just need to go in a, you know, one final, you know, burnout ride. That's right. And just get it up to you know 200 miles an hour. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. See That's you later. Right. Take the wheel. It doesn't yeah. have power steering either. So it's going to be. Oh, are you going to get slot. that installed? Because I heard that's. That's brutal. And how That's, about the brakes? Have the brakes? No been? power brakes. No power steering. Just, just, just pure muscle car, man. There's wow. There's an engine, a four-speed transmission, and a rear end. <laughs> I imagine. I imagine that's why they call it muscle cars, because you know. You either got to have muscles to drive it or you're going to build muscles driving them. They they just thought back in the day that, hey, if the power steering pump's drawing a little bit of power off the engine, that could be going to the, like my dad's 69 and a half Ford Torino had no power steering, no power brakes. Oh, you're like, oh, it, it's sacrificing horsepower. Right. So and he I would ordered it. He ordered it like that. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. ordered it like that. So it's that's pretty, funny. Pretty funny. Yeah. But yeah, no power it. steering. I'll let yeah. you drive it whenever, uh, whenever you make it down to Southwest Florida. I'll, uh, is that where it's stored? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I won't. There's no car culture in Northern Virginia. He's a bunch of, you know, these people. Yeah. No but think how many heads you would turn being the only guy up there with a, a muscle That's car. true. I've seen exactly zero 1970 Cudas up here. Yeah. I remember driving around with Chad and his Audi, you know, the, uh, the Tony RS7, Stark, the Tony Stark car. Yeah. I almost we bought had, that. 
Yeah. Yeah, I know. But we would drive it. We drove it through um, Hudson, Wisconsin, like this really busy strip, you know, with a bunch of restaurants and no, and you know, slow traffic, but it was summertime open air. So all these restaurants had their doors open and windows. Yeah. Every head turned, at least every boy, every, every boy and every guy turned their head and, and checked it out. And they're all like, light it up, light it up. Like they all know what that that car is. So, yep. That was a pretty car. I really like that. It was it, the color was Nardo gray. It was a really nice car. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. And it was tuned. Yep. All right, man. Well, perfect timing. Perfect. So, all right, everybody. Hey, um, live Q and a with me and Paul, yours truly February 16th, seven to 8 PM. Put it on your calendar. Check the, the link in the show notes register. And, uh, we'd love to see you all there. All right. Until next time. Control your capital. Or somebody else will. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to have a conversation with us to see how you can become your own banker, or if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, please send us an email to davidandpaul at theibcguys.com. And subscribe and leave us a review if you're on Apple. Follow and leave us a five-star review if you're on Spotify. And please share this with your friends. We'll see you next week.